0: Today, we're going to be um, beginning a new series that's going to take us through uh, up until June time. We're going to take a break in the summertime, and then after the summertime, resume the series again in the fall and hopefully conclude in the fall in our new series. And our new series is going to be in the book of Revelation. So, in case you're new to the church, you've been wondering, hey, you know, what is this all about? I wanted to take a poll kind of informally here, but has anybody ever been confused? You can raise your hands. Anybody ever been confused about the book of Revelation? You can raise your hand if you've ever been confused. Anybody here ever avoided the book of Revelation? And if you're honest, if you ever avoided it, you think, you know what, it's, it's weird and I avoid it for that reason, or it's too hard, or I, I don't understand it, or you avoid it because it, it's just got wild imagery and you're not familiar with that. So, how many of you ever spent time maybe on the other spectrum of things, an inadvertent amount of time, a huge amount of time? Anybody ever spent a huge amount of time on Revelation trying to figure out timelines and dates, places, who the different horns, beasts, and all those things are, right? Anybody ever, ever done that, spent too much time on Revelation maybe, um, like I did when I was growing up? There was a book that was really popular back then that, that um, I, I, we will not use as a text. It was called The Late Great Planet Earth back in the 70s by, I think, Hal Lindsey was the name of the guy. And it was really popular back then to try to attach, when I was growing up in the 80s, to try to attach meaning in every part of Revelation and tie it to all these people in history. And there were wild hypotheses. Everybody from Jimmy Carter to Gorbachev to whoever, you name it, uh, was seen as one of the figures in Revelation Well, we're not going to do any of that as we look at Revelation. We're not going to try to figure out the exact timing and date of Revelation. We're not going to try to figure out in history who does this tie to. You're not going to see a Revelation timeline. Never at any point during our series in Revelation. So I want to prepare you now, and you'll probably be disappointed if you're looking for that. Because the book of Revelation is actually not meant for that. It's not meant to tantalize us. It's not meant to um, uh, scratch some itch that we have about what's exactly going to happen in all the little times of the future. What it's about is what we'll look at in just a moment, and I think you're going to become more clear on the purpose of the book of Revelation just from the first three verses in Revelation. So let's turn to God's Word in the book of Revelation, and we're just going to camp out in these first three verses because these three verses set the tone and explain why why we have the book of Revelation, who it's about, and what it's for. It answers those questions, why we have the book of Revelation, who it's about, and what the purpose of Revelation is. So turn your Bibles to Revelation. We'll read Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. And if I keep readjusting this thing, bear with me. (laughs) Thanks for your patience. I surgery a week and a half ago and still trying to figure out how to navigate this and, and preach. So, um, to your Bibles, Revelation 1, 1 through 3. Actually, let's stand and read God's Word. This is God's holy inspired Word that He gave for the church back then and He gave to our church today as well. This is God speaking to us. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear, that's, that's everybody here, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is God's word. You can be seated and let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking your word to us in these last days. In these last days, you have spoken to us by your Son. Thank you for the gift that we have in this letter to the church, in this, in this prophecy that reveals who you are. Thank you that we have a, an unfolding of revelation of Jesus. Thank you that this, this book is meant to be applicable to us. God, I pray that you would help us here with the ear, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would set aside all and any preconceived notions, God, I pray that you would help us guard our hearts and minds from judgment. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds from trying to figure out viewpoints. And Instead, Lord, I pray that you would help us receive your word from you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, Lord, that we would respond to your word today. We would be edified and that you would be glorified. Lord, lead us by your spirit because only your spirit can do this. But thank you, Lord, that we have your Spirit and that you desire to reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a few questions for you as we're beginning the book. Thinking through the book of Revelation, there might be hesitancy. There might, there might be like, oh, you know what? I don't know if I really want to pay attention to the book of Revelation. How does that reply to us today? And you know, What's that all about? But some questions, really, that Revelation is meant to address, that Revelation informs. One of those is, is those who need encouragement. You, you ever need encouragement? Anybody here need encouragement at all? Anybody ever need encouragement in your daily walk as a Christian? You ever need encouragement to face a difficulty? Anybody here experiencing difficulty, opposition of some sort? You ever find yourself afraid of the future, especially when you look around at, at the mess that the world is in today? You find yourself tempted to fear? Anybody ever there at all? Or is it just me? You know, when I think about the world we're handing down to my children, I'm tempted. And to my children's children, I'm tempted. And Revelation is a wonderful balm to that temptation. You ever wanted to give up in your walk? You ever thought, this is just too hard, this is too much, I can't do it, I can't go on, I'm just done. You don't have to raise your hand on that one, but... I think at times we've all been tempted there. You get tired. Is this really all worth it? Revelation addresses that. You have experienced opposition from family, from friends, from coworkers, from neighbors, from uh, your boss, from fellow students? You ever see opposition in the world around you, and you wonder what will become of Christians, what will become of us, what will happen when we experience persecution? When will we experience persecution is often the question in our minds today. Revelation addresses how we walk through that. And it's sadly often in my life, it's either I have neglected it or avoided it or spend inordinate amounts of time in it. And there's dangers on both sides. There's dangers in a preoccupation with trying to figure out the exact timelines because we miss the purpose and the point of revelation that we see in these first three verses. There's also dangers on the other side of avoiding revelation, and we neglect the blessings that God has for us. It's often been seen sensationally pulled apart Pulled different verses out at random, trying to be applied to a particular viewpoint to support a particular perspective. It's been the subject of wild and excessive speculation about its meaning, bent to serve certain eschatological persuasions or a certain theological perspectives. That's not the purpose of revelation. It's it's not to bolster up our perspectives. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not meant to support our ideas of the end times. It's meant to reveal Jesus. And so today we're going to look at three aspects of this revelation just from the first three verses. And, and the first thing we're going to look at is that God gave this revelation. God gave this revelation. And what we're going to see why it's important that God gave the revelation. And God gave the revelation of Jesus is the first thing we see. That is the first thing we see. God gave the revelation of Jesus. The second thing we'll see is that God made the revelation of Jesus known to us. He didn't intend to make it hidden, unclear. No, he's made it known to us. And the third thing we'll look at is that God gave the revelation of Jesus for what? For our blessing that we might be blessed. So if nothing else, you get out of the book of Revelation is, I want you to approach the book of Revelation differently. believe God wants us to approach the book of Revelation differently and see that he gave this revelation of Jesus and he's made it known to us, not hidden, not mysterious, not, not trying to be concealed. But he's made it known to us, is what John says. And why? He gives revelation about Jesus. He's made it known. Why? So we might be blessed. That's, that's the point of the book of Revelation. So, right at the outset, we see in the very first four words, and, and actually, the very first word in the original language is revelation. And, and he gave this revelation. It says, of Jesus. I like that it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hit the reset button, all your expectations about what revelation will reveal. It's meant to be the revelation of Jesus Christ, of all that God's given to Jesus Christ. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Instead of being confusing, revelation was intended to be helpful, But I've also approached it trying to unlock these hidden meanings and mysteries as if there's some secret key. And I've missed the fact that, no, God has actually revealed something. He intends to reveal it. That word for revelation means a disclosure, an unveiling. God didn't intend to to veil his word. He's unveiling Jesus Christ and all that God has given to him here. You know, the word for apocalypse is... This is really the word in the original language is apocalypse. It is translated as revelation for us. It actually literally means a disclosure. But when I hear the word apocalypse, and back in the, I don't know when it was, back in the 70s, there was a horrific movie called Apocalypse Now, and it was just dramatic, awful, terrible things happening. And, and so the word apocalypse, it conjures up wild images and notions of, of the end times and, and cataclysm. And to some degree, the book contains some of those things. But when God gave John this Apocalypse, it, that word meant to disclose the truth, to lay things bare concerning the nature of who Jesus Christ is and all that God's given to him. It's meant to make manifest. I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I, when, I, when I look at Revelation that way, it changes the way I look at it. Say, so, you no, know, wait a minute, God didn't intend for these things to be confusing. No, He intended to make them manifest, to disclose, to make visible Jesus Christ. It's like John's pulling the, the, the curtain back on things in, in, from heaven, and he's letting us see things as they really are in reality. We're seeing behind this earthly time, and we're seeing behind this earthly place, and we're seeing behind this flesh and blood struggle to the struggle that we have, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and weakness in high places. And John's pulling back the curtain. He's disclosing those things. More, more accurately, God's disclosing those things. So we see it's a revelation It says of Jesus Christ. And you can read that of Jesus Christ in a few ways. And I think, you know, a, a lot of them apply, but I, I believe that it's meant in a specific way here. You can see of Jesus Christ as if Jesus Christ is the source. And he is, in that sense, the source of revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the source, the giver of this revelation. And he hands it to an angel who gives it to John. He gets, Jesus gets revelation from God. He Receives it from God. He hands it to an angel. The angel mediates it to John. So in that sense, it's the source of revelation is Jesus. And at the same time, it's of Jesus Christ because all the events in the book are mediated by Jesus Christ. Everything happens because of Jesus and through Jesus and culminates in Jesus. So in that sense, it's the revelation of Jesus too. But but I believe in these opening words, John intends to tell us something more. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. And you think, what what does that mean? That's an interesting way of putting things. See, in the Gospels, we have the revelation from Jesus, and he tells us all that we need to know about him. So it's not the revelation about Jesus that we have here in in the book of Revelation. It's not just the source. I, I love the way that David Helm he describes it and he says, whatever is revealed in these chapters, it comprises the rightful domain of Jesus alone. This is a revelation of Jesus, which God gave him. This is the, the domain of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, which God gave to him. It's the revelation that belongs to him. It's not inappropriate to say it's about him, but it would be odd after the Gospels to say that now we have this revelation of Jesus. And it's not just the revelation from him because he's declared the things that we need to know. But it's the revelation that God's given him. It's the revelation that God gave. It's about the things that belong to him alone, given him by God. Everything concerning what God gave him. And it reveals all that God gave to Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of the very character and nature of Jesus. If you don't get anything more than that out of revelation, you will be blessed because that will affect how you live. But it's more than that. It's a revelation of all that's been given to Jesus. It's the revelation of all that Jesus is and all that's been given to him. In verse 5, if you look in your Bibles, it, it, it speaks of Jesus as the ruler of kings in Revelation 1.5. In, in one eighteen, he, he alone holds the keys. He comes and he says, I hold the keys to death and Hades Jesus, not only is the ruler of kings, he has authority over death. He has authority over life and death and all that is, over all the kings. And you see in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation that he has authority over the churches. What is all the revelation of what God has given him? God has given him as a revelation over all of death, all of life, all the kings of the earth. Are you afraid of some earthly power? some earthly authority and the damage they might do or what earthly authority might crop up after the current ones that we have in place. Jesus has been given authority over all kings. It's meant to affect how we live. He's been given authority over death and hell. It's meant to affect how we live. He's been given authority over the church. It's meant to affect how we live and what we do as a church. To him belongs all the things of the church Revelation is also revealing the fact that he has conquered all things. He's conquered all things. It reveals that he's worthy, that that he is ruling and reigning currently. That all glory and power and majesty belong to him. By the time you get to chapter 5 in Revelation, John hits a place where there's this book this scroll of God's plans, this, this unfolding of history, all of God's plans is, is contained in the scroll symbolically. And so the scroll is brought out and, and no one, none of the elders can open it up. None of, the, none of the people there can open it up. None of the four living creatures who represent all of creation can open this scroll up. But you know who can open the scroll is Jesus. This is the revelation of all that God has given to him. Jesus is the one who is worthy to take the scroll of all of God's plans and open it up and carry all of them out and carry all God's plans out. And then you'll see in Revelation that all judgment belongs to him. Now, if you think about both of those truths, that should affect how we live. The fact that all of the plans of God are held in Christ's hands. They're in his authority. That should make you secure about God's plan's for you because he's already given his life for you to show that he is for you. Not only does he only hold plans, all judgment belongs to him. And all throughout Revelation, we see these different pictures of judgment. And you see these repeated themes showing the the numbers of completion of all these weird numbers all throughout the book of Revelation that have meaning and significance because they symbolize the, the, the completion of judgment. And yet, who was over all of those judgments it's jesus and that should give us security and faith and hope because we know that we've been judged righteous in him if we put our faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins it should give unbelievers terror if you've not put your trust in jesus you would know that one day a judgment will come and he is in charge of all those things not you not anyone else he's in charge of judgment it's what God's given him. And then we'll see all this imagery throughout and, and consistently, time after time, Jesus is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He's the one who has conquered all. He's the one who is currently reigning. He's the one who is to come, finally putting an end to all opposition. That's the revelation we have here. Different pictures of Jesus. He's the Almighty, He's the Lion of judah and yet he's the lamb who was slain he's the root he's the triumphant rider in revelation carrying out justice he's the very word of god and and his mouth is like a sword because he's the very word of god and jesus has been given absolute supremacy over all of time and over all of people If you're going to try to figure out what's the the big idea, what's the main theme of all of Revelation, it's it's really, you, you could put it this way, it's not perfect, but you could put it this way, that is that Jesus is the triumphant king who has conquered, who is ruling, and forever will reign victorious. That that should guide us all throughout the book of Revelation. As you're reading through Revelation, read it and say, how does this relate back to that? The fact that Jesus, he's revealed here is the revelation of Jesus Christ and all that God has given to him. What does it reveal? He's the triumphant king who has conquered. In Revelation 5, it speaks of his past tense. He has conquered. That's good news, right? We're not waiting for him to conquer. He has conquered, and he is ruling. He's carrying out God's plans already already occurred he's already doing that we're already in the midst of that and here's the other thing he will forever reign victorious that's meant to affect us right it's meant to be revealing that's that's for our good Revelation is also what John says is a prophecy. He, he uses that word because he wants to distinguish in that day from um, the very popular genre of apocalyptic literature, which was fanciful, which imagine, was imaginary in many ways. And yes, there are symbolism, and yes, it's apocalyptic in that sense. It is symbolic in many ways. But John says, no, I don't want you to misunderstand things. This isn't the same genre as Old Testament prophets like Daniel, like Ezekiel, Isaiah, at times, David and others. And he wants us to see because in, in Amos, and prophets spoke because they desired an ethical response. They desired there was something compelling the prophets, compelling people to change. That's what this book is all about. It's a prophecy because it's meant to give us a prophetic picture or many prophetic pictures so that we respond in real life, right now. In other chapters, undergirding everything in the letter, it's, it's who the letter reveals. It reveals Jesus and, and all that he is, all that he has, and all that he does in a very unique way. And if you neglect Revelation, you will not see those things. And so I'm really encouraged and looking forward to going through Revelation because we're gonna get to see these things in a way that's unique in Revelation unlike the rest of the New Testament. Now, in in some ways, it is explanatory of the rest of the New Testament, but it reveals things about Jesus that will affect you, that demand something from you. You John wrote 2,000 years ago that God wanted him to show his servants things that must soon take place. What what did that mean? Soon in what sense, right? Because this was 2,000 years ago or so, Pretty close to it. When John wrote, these are the things that are soon to take place. And you're like, well, hang on. Clearly, clearly that doesn't mean what we think it might mean. I think he meant soon in a few different ways. Soon in the sense that the churches would soon experience the types of spiritual warfare that John wrote about in all of his dimensions. And soon in the sense that when Jesus died and was resurrected, he ushered in a new era, a new kingdom. And and, and he's carrying out the last stages of his victorious battle against the evil one and all the forces of wickedness. So in that sense, it is soon, soon and ongoing. At the same time, he reminds us of other literature in the Old Testament like Daniel 2. Daniel 2, 44 and 45, it's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He had a vision of a statue. Nebuchadnezzar had this really concerning vision of this statue. And the statue was made up of different kinds of metals. And at the base, of his feet were clay. And, and all these different metals, they represented different kingdoms. And God was revealing to the king something about the future. And he says in Revelation 2, 44, he says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break to pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. God made known to Nebuchadnezzar what should be after this, not soon, but what after that. Now John says, well, the time is near, the time is soon. And so, what's John talking about? Well, he's talking about soon in relation to the Lord's perspective on time. You know, look back at Daniel, it was 650 years before John, now we're 2,000 years after John. John. There's something interesting about Daniel because Revelation is, is written in the same genre of prophetic literature as Daniel. In, in Daniel 12, God didn't say, hey, now I want you to make this Revelation known. He says, no, close it up. Keep this Revelation. Close this Revelation. There'll be Michael the great prince, a time of trouble. People will be delivered. But Daniel, take those words, shut them up, seal them up, go your way, seal division. vision. But John's not told that. He's told in Revelation, don't seal it up. Why? Because the time is is soon. And 600 years later in Mark, Mark 1, 14, Jesus explained what that means. He says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Same kind of language of soon, it's at hand, but yet it's been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Later, Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And Jesus said, that's not possible because if a kingdom is divided against itself, it won't stand. It will surely fall. And then he says something about the kingdom of God in Luke 11.20. He says, but if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God God has come upon you. That's the soon. It's the soon that has come and is in the midst of being fulfilled. It's the already but not yet completely fulfilled kingdom. Jesus ushered in the kingdom. And Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1, 2, it says, but in these last days, I love this beautiful language because it harkens back to the imagery of Revelation, where there's a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? By his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, 3.1 tells us, but understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. That's what John means, is in these last days, that Jesus has inaugurated. The kingdom has come, and these last days are coming They're coming soon. They're here. They're coming. They're here. They're coming. In Daniel's days, the events were to come. If you fast forward to Revelation 5, all the events when the angels are asking, who is one worthy? And John's weeping because nobody's worthy. Jesus opens up the scroll. And I love the language that says, past tense, the root of David, what? Has conquered. They all fell down. They sang a new song saying, you were slain you ransomed. They will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb. Why? Because the Lamb had been slain. So Revelation reveals things in that sense of soon, that Jesus already has come. He has conquered. He is ruling and reigning. And we're in this period of the final culmination of all things. Then at the end of Revelation, John repeats that same idea that he does in verse 1. So you got to Okay, here, here, what's John saying here? Revelation 22, verse 6 says, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, look at the prophets there. He's again reiterating the fact that this is a prophecy. He says, Send his angel to show his servant what must take place, and behold, I'm coming soon. Then he says something else. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of this prophecy. These events will happen soon. They're continuing to happen all around us. From the time of the resurrection through until the last day, there have and will be spiritual warfare, antichrist of all kinds. In that sense, John wrote about what must take place. But he didn't write on his own authority, he wrote with the authority of God himself and the testimony about Jesus Christ, and he received it through the angel from Jesus. So what we see here is this this main idea, the second idea is that God made his revelation known to us. He made his revelation known to us. Catch the, the, the kind of language in the first few verses. Not only is it revelation, which means disclosure, God gave him to show. He made it known. And then it talks about Blessed are you if you hear it and keep it, implying that these things can be and should be known to us. They are known because God's made it known. And it's written to us, to God's servants, to all of God's servants in all of time. It's written to God's servants. If you're a servant of God, this is written to you. This is relevant to you. All those who have been supernaturally transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of lights. You're his servants. This is written to you. Hear these words as personal encouragement, not only to the church then, but to the church now. Grant Osborne says, he says, the visions of this book, they are presented as an uncovering of hidden truths. He says, namely, the, the hidden reality of God's sovereign control of the future. That's good news, Church. God's sovereign control of the future, of how he's going to bring to an end the seeming success of the forces of evil in the present age. That's what God is disclosing here. He's made it known to us. It was intended for everyday, ordinary servants, God, to see something. This was typically read aloud. Now, we could do that, but it would take an hour to read it aloud, which I would recommend you do that at some point some point this week, and I'm going to ask you to do this at the end, is I'd recommend you sit down and read the entire book of Revelation. It'll take you about an hour to do. But what they did in the original churches is, why is this blessed is the one who hears and blessed is the one who reads and hears? Because they would read it out loud. It'd be an hour long or so, however long to get through this, and they would read it. But here's the thing, that the servants of God, the, the average everyday person sitting in the, I don't know if it was pews back then, whatever they had in the first century, Sitting in the house church, wherever they were, the average servant of God was intended to receive it as revelation for them and something to be understood by them. It doesn't mean it's simplistic, but it means that it's simple enough to be understood in a hearing. And they wouldn't have had tons of notes and, and timelines and all kinds of craziness. They would have just heard the word and they would have heard these word pictures, the symbols of who Jesus is and all that God has given to him. And it would have affected them and they would have been able to understand things about God is what this passage is saying. is It's been made known to us, to the servants of God. And, and I like that picture in Revelation 5 when that, that scroll is taken, God has that scroll, and then who takes it from him but Jesus. This is God's given revelation to Jesus. And, and then Jesus hands that revelation down to an angel. That, that angel hands the revelation down to John. John says, blessed is whoever reads it, and then blessed is whoever hears it. That revelation is intended to be given down to us to be made known by sending his angel to his servant John. This wasn't a fantasy of John's. He didn't make it up. This was directly received from God for our good to be made known for us. And you need to pay attention to how God's using deliberate language here in his opening to the letter. He uses some clauses here that, that careful readers say, okay, well, these clauses here are used in other places. What must come to pass, he made known So God gave him to show what must come to pass and he made known and the only other time all three of those clauses are found together in the Bible is in the book of Daniel. So you think, okay, wait a minute. So Daniel is actually key to interpreting Revelation. Since John was a Jew, we we know he's familiar with them, especially as a disciple of Jesus. He was an old man by now, plenty of time to read the scriptures. God had given a vision he'd shown to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, the things that will much come to pass, and he made known the meaning as well. And John is intentionally indicating in his opening here that he's communicating the things that God has shown him, which was going to pass, and that Jesus has made known. And he's communicating these things in the same genre as Daniel did, in the form of pictures. It's kind of unfamiliar for us. If, if you encounter the picture of Revelation, our temptation could say, okay, let's figure this out because we don't, we don't understand this. But in that day and age, it was very common to communicate in word pictures. Now, not all of us are artistic, but a few people here, I think, are artistic. Anybody here artistic? You can raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. It's actually something to be proud of. Anybody here artistic? You like looking at art? You love Anybody here like looking at, maybe you're not good at art, but you like looking at pictures of art? Now, I don't like abstract art, because I don't get it because I'm not very keen I don't have a very good artistic mind in that sense but some can look at an abstract piece of art and say oh you know what why Picasso put two two eyes on this side and made things look so funny was because he was trying to communicate the brutality of war or how humanity has been corrupted or or some other thing and you're like oh my now that you're telling me that I can I can see that and so often when we see pictures in Revelation, they're meant to communicate ideas in that sense, but it's meant to be made known to us. God's communicating the same way as he did in Daniel when, when we saw that picture, that image of the statue, and, and how this, this stone, now think about that language, by the way, but this stone crushes all the kingdoms until finally... This stone becomes the size of a mountain and it obliterates every other kingdom and it becomes the kingdom. And who does Jesus say he is? He's the stone the builder rejected. He's the stone. It's his kingdom that'll last forever. And he communicates symbolically through pictures to Daniel, to God, to John. To us. And he alludes all throughout other pictures of what God communicated in the Old Testament and what's really true in the here and now, what will be true in the end of all time. It's, it's meant to bring clarity, not confusion. He was bearing witness to all that he saw. He was meant to communicate something real, just like the visions in the Old Testament that, that God gave, not only to Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel, but to Pharaoh. To Joseph to other men throughout. They were visions that communicated something real and meant to be responded to in that day by real people in real ways. I love what Dennis Johnson says. He says, what John has seen in prophetic vision is the true character of events. That's what we see in Revelation, the true character of events, individuals, forces, forces trends the appearance of which is quite different he says on the physical sociocultural observable plane one key theme of the book is that things are not what they seem that's what you're meant to see as you're reading this wait a minute this is revealing something that is unlike what i see here on earth but it reveals what things are really like that things are not what they seem here on earth that god really has jesus has conquered He is ruling and reigning he forever will On the plane of visible history, things are not what they appear, so Revelation symbols make things appear as they are. It's surprising. Paradoxical imagery discloses the true identity of the church, its enemies, and I love this, and its champion. And that reminds me, and probably badly so, and I'm sorry. I'll apologize right now. I was raised in the 80s of Carmen, and we are, you know, he is the champion. So I apologize for that reference, but he is the champion. He is the one who's ruling and reigning over all. Revelation discloses, makes clear that's true. And it addresses a lot of things. It addresses, we're going to see this next week, apathy. You ever apathetic in your walk? Revelation addresses your apathy, my apathy. You know, lethargy, false teaching, opposition. If you're temptation to compromise, to give in to blend in, to assimilate we'll see that our battle is not against flesh and blood and it's meant to help us stand in the full armor of God it's, it's to make things known to us and it's not only to make things known, he's given us revelation of who Jesus Christ and all he is, he's to make things known, to make things clear to us, not to make things foggy not to hide things but to disclose things, to make them known to us and then he's given the revelation of Jesus for our blessing. That's the final thing we're going to look at. Is he's, he's given the revelation of Jesus for our blessing. And where, where do I get that? Look down your Bibles. It's in verse 3. He, what he's saying here is this: it's not given to tantalize you. It's not given to make you feel justified about your particular eschatological perspective. And eschatological means end times perspective, by the way. It's a big word for saying that. It's not meant to feel satisfied, self-satisfied about, hey, the timing of things and, and your position, whether you look at things differently than people in this body. And by the way, there are different perspectives on the end times in this body. And actually, Aaron and I might have slightly different perspectives on the timing of things. Because you know what? The Bible doesn't, doesn't say clearly, okay, this is exactly, but that's not, that's not the point of Revelation. In Revelation to make Jesus known to us so that why we might be blessed. He gave the revelation Jesus for our blessing. Blessed is the one, he explains who, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and bre- <laughs> prophecy. <laughs> and blessed are the one those who hear and who keep. How do we receive blessings from revelation? By hearing it and keeping it. And you think, "Hang on. How am I supposed to keep this image of a beast with seven horns? What does that mean? How do I keep those things? How do I, how do I keep this revelation?" Well, he says this because there's things that can't be kept about who God is, about His power over all things about how he has conquered all things, about the true nature of things. We can actually hear those things and respond to them and keep them in that sense, obey them, respond to them, heed them. It's not written as a novelty or curiosity. It's, and you can see the we're gonna look at next week, begin to look at next week. The, the intended audience was real people in real churches, living in real situations, and expected to respond. that's what we see at the very outset and that's that's revelation for us as well it's actually written to us as real people in real life situations and it's meant for us to respond in the here and now not just hypothetically but to respond in how we live to live differently in response and you can see that because he addresses seven different churches we're going to look at that next week but he addresses seven different churches that are real churches that face real temptations And he really expected them and demanded that they respond and keep. Revelation was meant for us to respond to it, to keep it. Like the fact that we're living in the end times, the kingdom of Jesus has already been established. His ultimate victory is guaranteed. Our future in him is secure. That's meant to affect how you live. Like how a guy named Vern Poythress, he reflects on this verse. He says, we are to take to heart what is written. We're to take to heart. Revelation is not intended to tickle our fancy, but to strengthen our hearts. Another commentator, Leon Moore, says he does not wish merely to stimulate interest, but to influence action. To hear it, to keep it, to do something with it. Not just to say, oh, that was interesting, now I understand things. No, it's not the intention of the book of Revelation is So we can hear it and keep it. G.K. Bill says John's witness to the heavenly commentary concerning what God has done in Christ is not intended as an ap- apocalyptic curiosity to tantalize the intellect, but to conform or inform Christians about how God wants them to live in light of recent redemptive history. This book contains information for the mind, but it's information that entails ethical obligation. It's meant to be kept. It's meant to be heard and kept. And heard in that Old Testament sense of embracing, receiving the revelation, and having it affect us, and then responding in obedience. And Why do we do that? Why do we want to keep it and hear it? Because God promises that those who do that will be blessed. Those who keep it and hear it and keep it will be blessed. One last quote, not the end of the message, but one last quote I want to share with you is from Dennis Johnson. He says, our interpretation... A revelation must be driven by the f- difference God intends it to make in the life of his people. It's coming right from the text here. It must be driven by the difference that God intends it to make in the life of his people. If we could explain every phrase, which I don't think we're going to be able to, by the way. If we could explain every phrase, we'll explain most of them. If we could explain every phrase, though, identify every allusion to the Old Testament Scriptures. And by the way, there's more allusions to Old Testament Scriptures in the book of Revelation than any other New Testament book and all of them combined. It's amazing how much it uses the Old Testament. He says if we could identify every allusion to the Old Testament Scripture or Greco-Roman society, trace every interconnection, illumine every mystery in this book, and yet we're silenced by the intimidation of public opinion terrorized by the prospect of suffering, enticed by affluent Western culture's promise of security, comfort, and pleasure, then we would not have begun to understand the book of relation as God wants us to. The dragon's assault on the church comes in different forms from different quarters in different times and places. Our only safety lies. in seeing the ugly hostility, the enemy clearly and clinging fast to our champion and king, Jesus. Why? The times are near. The book makes a claim on our lives. He expects us to live in light of his kingdom, to to hear it. It's made known. He's made it known and made it clear to his servants. It's the revelation of who Jesus is and all that God has given to him, and it's for our good because the time is near. He tells us the benefit, lastly, the benefit of hearing and keeping is that we'll be blessed. We're living this inaugurated kingdom of God, this already inaugurated kingdom. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? He said, it is, say it out loud, finished. He has finished the work that he came to do. He, he finished the work that God gave him to establish the kingdom. It's already been inaugurated, and yet he's bringing it about it's already been established, and He's bringing it about. We're living in the soon, and one day He'll bring it to a final completion. And it says, "If we hear and keep these words, we'll be blessed." Now, we're going to end with this piece. Just, just, think about where where did we first see the word "blessed" in the Old Testament? Anybody know? You can shout it out loud. We're going to have a little interacting time right now. Okay, where did you first see the word "blessed" in the Old Testament? Anybody have any ideas? Say it really loud. Shout it out. It's okay if you're wrong. Genesis, yeah, and we'll get to Abraham too, that's, that's right. Genesis. Genesis 1, 22, God's created all things. I love, I love Revelation. It's, it's the end of his, what's being revealed here, and what was the beginning? Genesis. And in Genesis, when God created all, all these animals, all these creatures, In Genesis 1, 22 says, and God looks and saw everything that was there, he saw that was good and says, and God blessed Them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. The source of their ability to do what God created them to do was in God's blessing. And then you look in Genesis 127, he finishes all of creatures and he'd already blessed all of creation and then he finished making man and woman and he says in Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created male and female, he created them. Verse 28 And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, every living creature that moves on the earth. The source of their ability to carry out what God called them to do was in the fact that God had blessed them, right? You see that? And God blessed them, Be fruitful, multiply, subdue it, have dominion over everything. And they were blessed. But then what happens? They fall away. Why? Because they didn't hear and keep the word of God. They didn't hear and keep the word of God. They heard it but didn't keep it. They didn't hear it to receive and keep it. They didn't keep the word of God. They were blessed, but then they fell away. They disobeyed. But then we see next the promise to bless, and I think Steve, you got it right, was through Abram, right? And God says through Abram, all the what? All the nations of the earth shall be what? Blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, through your seed. And then you wonder in the Old Testament, if you are a Jew, hey, does this mean Isaac or Jacob? (laughs) No, neither one of those. Not Isaac, not Jacob the deceiver. Well, maybe the seed will be through the prophets but no, it didn't come to fruition there. Maybe the seed will be through the priests, and no, it didn't come through there. Maybe the seed will be through the judges, but every judge was not the promised one through whom blessing would come. Who would be this Messiah? And we see for hundreds of years... Scripture was silent. There was no blessing one, no blessed one. There was no one through whom blessings came until you see Jesus come on the scene. And then in the Beatitudes, we call it Beatitudes, he says nine times, blessed is the one. How are we blessed? By coming into his kingdom. He establishes his kingdom. And he says, blessed is is the one nine times. And now we come to Revelation, we see the fulfillment of blessing. And there's six times in Revelation you see blessing. It says in Revelation 14 13, in addition to this, we see the next time it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, so they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Revelation 16 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. Talking about the clothes of righteousness, who will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Revelation 19.9, he said to me, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Be blessed if you keep these words. Revelation 26, blessed is the Holy One who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And then Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who, same thing as the beginning, who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. It's meant to be kept and to be blessed. Revelation twenty-two fourteen: 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Have you washed your robes? In the blood of Jesus Christ this is so that they may have the right oh look at this it's the restoration of all things they may have the right to the tree of life they may enter by the gates into the city and finally Revelation 22:15 it says outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and hang on a second can you mute me for a second whoever's got the am i muted yet I'll turn it off are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood people who did not keep verse 16 I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to make known to you about these things for the churches I am the root the descendant of David and the bright morning star the spirit of the bride say come, let the one who hears say come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We here a restoration of all things. And the water that flows that in the heavenly kingdom that feeds this tree of life, it's from the throne of the Lamb. Respond to Him. Hear and keep the words of revelation. Receive His blessing, confident of His coming to bless. Amen? Well, let's pray and let's sing. Father, I pray that You would continue to make known these words.